0: On this episode of Serverless Chats, I speak with Eric Peterson about why developers need to think about cloud costs. This is Serverless Chats, episode number six. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and you're listening to Serverless Chats. This week, I'm chatting with Eric Peterson. Hey, Eric. Thanks for joining me. Hey, great to be here, Jeremy. So you are the CEO at Cloud Zero in the great city of Boston. Uh, So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what Cloud Zero is up to?
1: Sure. So, um, gosh. Um, So I'm a recovering AppSec uh, person, actually, by trade. I think I spent 20 years in the application industry, uh, security industry, trying to uh, to move the needle on one thing, which is to get developers to care about security. Um, I didn't necessarily start there, but I, I certainly thought a lot about um, application security through the years and where where I think the application security industry ended up was a, was a good place focused on the people who create the software that we care about. Um, but about 10 years ago, maybe 11 now, uh, in 2008, I... Uh, I got bit by the uh, the cloud bug. And um and I started experimenting with AWS and 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 taking that uh where I could take it. And um and I had the good fortune of um of bringing Vericode, my the, the company I worked at before CloudZero, uh over into AWS and uh and had a lot of fun doing that and learned a lot along the way. So uh recovering AppSec person. Uh, now, uh, now, now, true cloud connoisseur. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, and what's Cloud Zero all about? So Cloud Zero, it's 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 pretty simple. I, I, it gets back to my roots. I wanted, I want developers to care about cost, right? And so, Cloud Zero, we're the first uh, cloud optimization platform that is specifically built to tie engineering decisions directly to cloud cost, right? You look at a lot of um, cloud optimization solutions today, they're focused on the finance team or parts of the organization that are outside of the people who are actually making the decisions, writing the code. And so we want to empower DevOps teams to make smarter engineering and infrastructure decisions. And, and we do that by, uh, by by giving them a platform that can allow engineers to understand in real time the, the cost ramifications of their actions. Um, so really powerful... Solution that you know. Ultimately, we're going to help the business manage costs, move faster, and drive innovation forward. Uh, and, and we're we love developers. We're focused on that world. Do you have any big
0: features coming out that you want to share with the audience?
1: Yeah. So we are building a, a whole set of, of of capabilities for engineering teams to get right into the details of of what matters most to them, which is how much are the things that they're actually building costing them and Take out all of the noise. You know, today if you go look at Amazon's Cost Explorer, you look at another product, you see all this data related to cost. All I care about is what is the thing that I'm working on right now? What does it cost me, and and how is it? How are my decisions affecting that? So we have a number of new dashboards that are coming out for that, and um, and a few other little surprises around the uh, around the corner around anomaly detection coming out this summer. Awesome. So I wanted to have you
0: on um, to talk about an extremely exciting topic that I actually, surprisingly, uh, am a little bit passionate about because I, I do mm-hmm. see a tremendous amount of value in this. But I want to talk about cloud computing costs, and obviously, you have uh, quite a bit of experience in this. But where I want to look at this is, you know, we now have this sort of very, very granular billing um, mm-hmm. that goes well beyond what you know maybe a saas company might provide. I mean obviously you have saas bills and you that that's a metric that you could use. But now that you have cost associated with every sort of cloud engineering action that you take, yeah. um you know how do we need to think about this differently? I mean maybe let's start there.
1: Well. So I you know I think every cloud engineer should view cost as something that they, you know, their expertise in understanding the bill needs to be something that they feel proud enough to put on the, on the resume. Um, you know, you think about what was the very first Amazon service It was a lot of times it's really easy to say, Oh, it was SQS or S3. Uh, no, it was actually Amazon billing. Right. But, uh, <laughs> because it's a good point. Amazon wasn't going to do anything if they couldn't bill you for it. And over time they've figured out how to, like you say, you know, get deeper into the metered billing. You know, we have millisecond billing. Uh, EC2 used to be billed by the hour, and now it can be billed even tighter than that. You go look at the reports; everything is kind of normalized to the hour, and it's a little bit more complicated to figure out. But the the key, you know, kind of thing here is whether we know it or not. As as software architects, engineers, DevOps engineers, when we uh, move from on-prem into cloud. Um, we had a whole lot of constraints that just disappeared overnight. And, um, you know, this decision about how much things cost what used to be made for us. Uh, somebody went and bought a bunch of servers, they put it in the basement, and, um, and that was all well and good. And then we just tried to maximize our usage of that resource. Now, uh, somebody gave us uh, an Amazon account, and our instincts as engineers are a little bit off because our instincts are how can I get the fastest path to value for my customers, innovate quicker, build, you know, new capabilities. And, and your, your intuition is to expand, to use all available resources in front of you in order to achieve that goal, right? It's certainly what your boss is telling you or the CEO is telling you. Um, and so we go, oh, I have this infinite scale. Let's go, uh, let's go nuts. Um, the problem, the flip side of that, of course, is if I have infinite scale, um, I also need to have infinite wallet, Right. Um, if i don't have infinite wallet then uh then actually the the reality is i don't actually have infinite scale and so as engineers, I think we need to move past caring just about performance and uptime and we we need to add a third item to to our kind of list of operational metrics and that's and that's cost.
0: Yeah, and and I, I don't know how you knew that I have a bunch of uh, servers in my basement um, they're all turned <laughs> off now but I literally have um, a bunch of old servers in my basement um, but no we, it, all have, it, we all have some dirty dirty little secrets uh, exactly uh, you, making, you, you know. wouldn't believe how many um, uh, hard drives I have because I didn't want to throw them away when I closed down my data center um, oh, yeah. but the uh, but so you mentioned and I think this is important you mentioned this idea of the sort of the purchasing decision right and in the past it has always been um, okay we need a hundred servers we need uh, this many copies of you know Windows Server or we need you know the, this Oracle license or whatever we need um, And those things were fairly easy to plan for um, mm-hmm. and and again they were these purchasing decisions by um, you know uh, by sort of the uh, I guess the C levels or the purchasing department or something and, and, and you would the follow along with be, these right? the powers that be yeah and you'd have these budgets. But I think that just becomes a little bit more, um, uh, it's diff- more difficult to plan for. And we can we can talk about, we can get into this more uh, in a yeah. few minutes. But um, but I think what's really interesting and, and what has changed, at least from what I've seen, is now that we have this very detailed and granular billing, um, we can use, like you said, we could use that cost actually as a KPI for our business to understand how much we're spending um, for every action that we're taking. And so you could actually see, you know, for a customer that uses X number of Lambda invocations and this many SNS messages and this many step function executions and this much data storage, you could actually calculate, you know, very, very closely how much each customer costs you from that cloud infrastructure standpoint. So I just think that's a really, really, really interesting thing that you can do now.
1: If you're a SaaS vendor, uh, you know your div- your value delivery chain is, is built on top of cloud. That's your cost of goods. That's your gross margin. You need to understand that if you're going to deliver a profitable product to to the market, and and you want your you want that conversation to be part of your entire organization, um, because I mean the reality is is that the buying decision is being made by your engineering team now, right? They they uh, choose. Am I gonna use this type of instance or that type of instance? Am I gonna am I gonna implement this kind of code or that kind of code? They they make a buying decision every moment of, of of every day. Um, you know, essentially, you know, every time, you know, every line of code that they write, they're making a buying decision. And yeah. um and so you have to think about that. And then it, it gets even more complicated though, because um there are so many intertwined, and particularly in the serverless world, which is so, I think, honestly certainly. I'm sure all our listeners here will appreciate, you know, our point of view is that we think we believe serverless is the future of all computing, but you know, it's it's um it's even more powerful because you create these very um uh uh interesting applications that are um that that are composed of lots of different services. It's not just Lambda compute. It's I have Lambda connected SNS c- passing to SQS, Dynamo DB, Kinesis, all these things flying together. And I'm not just going to the cheat sheet on Amazon and saying, well, how much does it cost for one hour of compute to like try to estimate my cost? No, I now have to think through that that whole story. And I think it's kind of a shame that actually a lot, uh, for most organizations, they consider the state of the art there to be, well, let's just try it and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, and a lot of times they try it in uh test and uh, they go, oh, looks like it's going to cost a couple bucks. Great. Let's ship it. And once it gets into production it's a much different story um and uh and they just don't they they really organizations really struggle with this and it's unfortunate
0: so speaking of organizations and and struggling um so this is sort of like a cultural change right i mean if we think of um trying to get our developers to think about costs now right because in the past it was I wrote some code. Here you go. And and I think there were a lot of developers who did have that they were cost conscious uh, about, you know, how much they were spending, um, you know, depending on how many services they were using and things like that. But I think this is a little bit different now. And and you have a term for this, right? You call this Fin DevOps. Is that sort of the uh, is that sort of what you mean by Fin DevOps, this idea of this cultural change?
1: Yeah, so I, you know, I've I've always viewed DevOps as the culture that comes along with a with a cloud driven lifestyle, and that it embodies a lot of things. And I've I've spoken a little bit about the relationship between cloud and DevOps, and and also SRE um, as being a practice that you can apply to to that culture. The thing that was missing from the what, what I thought was really missing from cloud culture was was a an appreciation for the spend, appreciation for how much things cost, because there's a real tight relationship between a well-architected system and a cost-effective one. I, I've I've looked out over hundreds or maybe thousands of different systems now, and I, and I'll tell you, I, I in every every time, I'll, I'll first place I'll look is the bill, and it'll give me a better insight into into the architecture and what's built sometimes better than than any other data source. Um, and, um, and so the culture of, of caring about the, the, the cost of things, the financial aspects of it was missing from engineering, uh, from the engineering discipline, I think, uh, in, a, in a big way. And, and I wanted to kind of draw attention to that. And that's, that's the whole, the point of FinDevOps. It's also about understanding over time, I want, um, I want uh, organization to understand what's the true kind of flow of capital through my system. If every transaction costs me $12 for one customer transaction, but I'm only charging my customers $3 per transaction, right? That capital flow is is not going to work out well for me in volume over time, right? I need to I need to find a balance. Um but uh but yeah, no, I I think FinDevOps has done a good job of kind of drawing attention to this. And I've spoken to a lot of uh engineers who um appreciate this, but they their impact or their kind of introduction to cost has been somebody from the CFO's office uh, coming down to their organization and then spending an hour yelling at everybody because the bill is too damn high. Meanwhile, that person leaves the room and then the CEO walks in and says, why are you guys not delivering more value to the customer anymore? And it's this complete imbalance between the two organizations. So, um, you know, the Everybody needs to be able to have one kind of common uh, terminology for understanding as to why we built it the way we built it, you know how it's delivering value and um, and how much it costs is, is needs to be part of that conversation.
0: yeah, and I think that you you have this issue um, especially with purchasing departments uh, that or you know whoever the accountants are seeing these these fluctuating bills in the cloud and not understanding. Um, you know they just say oh well it cost x amount of dollars last month so this yeah. month it should cost the same right but maybe we had more users maybe we added users or whatever maybe we did something we added a new feature and and suddenly new features might add thousands of dollars worth of costs right so do you do you see do you see that sort of uh, you know butting of heads between um, sort of the developers or the engineering teams um, and then you know as you
1: as you've called them the powers that be sometimes? <laughs> um there there is that tension there, i mean sometimes it's a healthy tension but um but there is that tension there and it's it's it kind of i mean it goes like this you know imagine you needed to explain let's say a very complicated system that you constructed and um and now you're trying to explain it in um in french to uh to the germans right you know it's it, it's you're speaking a different language um and um and that's the hard part right you know you get asked the question well why did we spend $20,000 uh, this month on EC2 more than we spent last month, for example, right? And and you go, well, it's because, you know, the product team had a new initiative. We had to do a migration. We had to do this. We had to move data from over here. We had a security requirement, so we needed to encrypt the data. So we we're calling the KMS API a lot. And then, um, and then that resulted in a whole bunch of new storage and processing. And you go and you're talking, 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 and then you look up And it's just a glazed over look on the the finance guy's eyes. And they're going, yeah, yeah, no. Why did we spend $20,000 more this month? And how much are we going to spend next month? And they go, what? I can't talk to you. Get out of here, right? (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, ultimately you want to tie it back to, well, look, this product initiative costs this much money and we forecast it to be X. And we have an idea before we actually go down that path of how much it's going to cost. And cost has been a part of it because- there are, I mean, for a long time in engineering, there's been a notion of uh, non-functional requirements, right? What what kind of performance requirements do you have? What kind of uptime requirements do you have? Um, and the hard question that uh, I think organizations need to ask themselves is, well, what kind of cost or budget requirements do you have? And at what point are you going to compromise the, um, the budget for the user's experience or vice versa, right? You know, are you, are you going to go? You know what? User experience matters at all costs, even if it's a million dollars an extra spend this month. Our users must be absolutely happy. Okay, make that decision consciously. Today, I don't think anybody's consciously making that decision though.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a that's a really really good point because you're right. I mean, at some point we have to trade off certain things. I mean, if we had unlimited scale, I mean, you know, then. Like you said, you would need an unlimited wallet to do that. So uh, I think planning around that is 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 a good point. But
1: and, well, and I'll, I'll throw in one thing. You know, like this decision, It's not like these decisions are new. They've but the the differences is, is that they've always been made for us. Um, yeah, that's a the, good point. You know, we we had the CFO and the CEO, or maybe the CIO, decide. Oh, we need fifty servers of this class, and uh, we work with the teams, and then that's what we put in the basement, right? So now your performance envelope and everything has been made. And when you run out of capacity, everyone kind of, at the time, you know, would have a good joke about it. Like, oh, <laughs> server's down because we're having, everything is so successful, right? <laughs> we have a million users. Our product is wonderful. And, um, but, um, but you know, today people go, oh, why is it down? You don't have infinite scale. Well, oh, right. But, you know, we're so, so successful. We put the company out of business.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so... I think another thing about, you know, sort of where I see this cultural change um is the ability, and you 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 alluded to this, about developers thinking about the actions that they take and, and how that affects overall costs. And and you outlined a developer going back and explaining to somebody, okay, well, we had this new initiative, we did this, we had to access KMS more times or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is something where You know, I mean, how much time should developers be spending on thinking about cost optimization? Because obviously, um, in a in a small environment, a small tweak here, a small tweak there might save you fifty bucks a month, right? But when you get to scale and you have an enterprise serverless application, you might be spending thousands, tens of thousands, hundred thousand dollars a month. um, You know, processing things. uh, You know. It maybe it takes an extra two seconds to do this particular job because you're calling it this way or you're not failing fast enough or whatever. Uh, you know, so how much time do you think developers should be spending on cost optimizations and, and what kind of experiments could they run um, you know, to maybe affect the overall bill?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean this is one where there's a lot of uh, you know, a lot of different conflicting ideas on this because you know, you ask any product organization, particularly software organization today, and you know, and you know ask them, you know, what's more important to you, uh, spending all this time on cost or innovating faster, right? And everyone will say innovating faster, and um, but I until think until the, the bill deal, comes, until the bill comes, right? And then it suddenly is like, whoa, wait a second, right? And and then people tend to think, well, all right, well, we'll get around to fixing it when we have a problem, right? And that was. The same uh, situation we got ourselves into with uh, security, application security. It was like, I, you know, let's get our developers not care about security right now because it's just going to slow them down. It's a complicated topic. They don't really understand it. Can't we just get another team to like manage this for us? And then when it's a real problem, they'll come back to us. And that was what the industry tried to do. And guess what was happening? Everybody, even c- continue to today, gets hacked right, left, and center. Right, And they realize... No, no, no. This has to be part of the process up front. It will actually cost us less money. Um, I just heard, uh, you know, I forget, uh, Moody's just downgraded um, uh, either. I don't want to get the name wrong. You know, one of the companies out there got got downgraded in their ratings because of their security posture. And um, I think we we need to take a more proactive view to this. Now, what, na- what made that possible to take a more proactive view for security in the security industry? And it was it it wasn't that the uh, developers suddenly were spending more time necessarily on it. It was that the tooling and the processes, and processes and the um, the capabilities of the systems that we're using all improved to make it possible. Um, I'm a big fan of of, of um, decision loops, auto loops, and and I and I think about all right, how can I get cost into that decision loop process so that an engineer can make a quick decision without. Uh, an informed or educated buying decision when they're doing things. And that means getting the data to them as quickly as possible. And right now most engineers get the data at the end of the month <laughs> uh, in, in the form of a bill or an angry email or some report that they check even the the following day or the following week. And, um, and that's kind of ridiculous, right? We live in a real time world. Um, and uh, if my, so- you know, I, I asked this question at a, a conference recently. I, I I asked everybody, I said, how long would it be until uh, you knew that your site was down? And somebody yells out, it'll be a second. I'd know in a, instantaneously, right? And I'm like, of course, right? How long would it be until you knew that uh, one of the key transactions, your credit card processing was down on your, on your website? And like, We'd know in seconds. I'm like, great. How long would it be until you knew that an engineer on your team wrote a line of buggy code and it cost you a hundred thousand dollars. It's just dead silence. Yeah. It would, it would, it would be a while. And unless somebody was checking
0: those bills on a regular basis, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that.
1: Well, you wouldn't even see it. Even if you, in the moment, right. I can, I can write a line of code that will cost my company a hundred thousand dollars in a heartbeat, right. I can, I can do that as an engineer. That's the power that we have. And, um, um and so you know it was dead silence. I think there was a gasp in the back, and somebody finally yelled out a month, right? And I'm like <laughs> exactly, right? This is most likely, yeah. Yeah, you know, there is probably no more critical kind of thing here to in terms of doing this. And here's the thing. If I, you know, so so first I think the tooling and the technology has to improve so that cost can become a an operational metric that fits in with the developer life cycle And that's the mission that Cloud Zero is on, obviously, and the the and and why we're why we're doing what we're doing. We want to enable that to become part of the, the engineering team, uh, uh, thought process. So let's get into
0: this discussion about cost being a first class operational metric, right? So what what do we mean by uh, first class operational metrics? First of all, in case people don't know,
1: yeah. So what it means is you know when we're doing design when we're building that when we do a deploy or we do some tests or we run integration tests, any type of testing, it is a, it is a KPI that we care about when we, uh, when we judge whether or not our application is ready for the world or not. Right. And right now we care about performance. We care about uh, uh, uptime availability and things like that. Um, We're not spending enough time thinking about costs as a first-class operational metric. It's, um, uh, it's important that we, we look at that and we ask ourselves, is that correct or is that wrong? And we have an idea of what we what we expect before we release the application to, to the world. Um, and it becomes part of the the KPIs that we track. Uh, you know, you walk into an operations center for any major, you know, internet property today, and you'll see a, an operations dashboard that's telling you all kinds of key transactions. And I'm not a huge fan of dashboards. Dashboards are where, I don't know, a lot of things go to die, but it's, <laughs> it you know, at the end of the day, these are the things that people are caring about. And nowhere in any of these dashboards will you see how much money is our current cloud infrastructure costing us, right? Um, people just simply aren't thinking about that until the end of the day. And, you know, as companies trying to build innovative products, we're also trying to be trying to build profitable products. And, um, you know, what I was thinking earlier about, you know, when we think about innovation, if, if I can save... Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars, because I've taken a little bit more time to think about how I've constructed my application. That Those are dollars that I can invest back into my engineering process. You know, you speak to any engineering manager about what really helps them move innovation faster, and they'll say, headcount, <laughs> more engineers on the team, even though, you know, sometimes, you, oh, you can't, uh, you know, two pizza teams and all that. At the end of the day, stuff is built by people. And if I can Add more people to my team or invest more in the technology they're using, um, then I can move faster. Um, and right now, we take this, I think, additional innovation budget that we have and we um, almost lazily ship it off to the cloud providers because we think there's no better way to do it.
0: Yeah. And and I think, you know, again, the other thing about first class metrics, and, and I guess we're maybe getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but you know, that ability to measure a KPI and then just determine whether it's good or bad, right? And and whether that has some sort of impact. I think the granularity of billing is sort of the perfect KPI to tell yeah. you something is, something is right or something is, is wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the vision for cloud zero, when I first started working on, on cloud zero, I was haunted by the fact that the systems we're building were getting way more complicated than what any one person could understand. And my my point of view was that we should think of the uh, cloud providers, you know, the cloud as a computer and the cloud providers as an operating system. And there is nothing that understands really what's going on in that operating system today. Um, we were all too focused on the agents that were telling us what was going on inside of EC2 and, you know, and Windows and Linux. And I'm like, that's just a microkernel. It's, we should really not care at all about that. What's going on in this, in this big, complicated system? And so... I went looking for every data source that that operating system could provide and with the goal of pulling it into into cloud zero to build this this deep understanding and and the day that I um started looking at the billing data um was really um uh, was really impactful because there is no other data source across all of your cloud uh, infrastructure that um, tells you more about literally everything that's going on because if it's happening. Amazon wants to bill you for it, right? So, it is um, it is all right there. The challenge with this data source is that it's got great accuracy, but it has horrible latency, and um, um, and there's no way to correlate this data source with all the actions and activities that um, that, uh, uh, that that folks are taking. When I spin up a new machine, uh, it takes a long it takes a while before I know the actual cost of it. Um, or I build out a new system or I have, um, you know, a setup, you know, that example I gave about KMS earlier, we were working with one customer and they did a migration from one system to another and they estimated out the, co- what the cost was going to be. And we generated an alert and came back and said, wait a second, you have this cost spike here completely unpredicted. And I go, what, is, what the heck is going on? And I said, well... Your team, you got it looks like here you wrote some code that is calling the KMS API millions of times. And uh, they're like, oh, that's part of the migration. Geez, we had no idea. And we're like, well, what if you just zip up that data into one blob instead of writing it all in these individual components and call the KMS API uh significantly less? And they're like, oh, that would be easy. Instant, instant cost savings, right? Yeah. But the hard part about all that was getting that information to the developers at a time where they actually were could even consciously think about the code. Because if if I'd come back to that team a month later or you know a year later or who knows what, and said, "Oh, hey, you know, we found this thing," they'd be like, "What? I don't even remember what code I wrote, you know, <laughs> two days ago, much less a month ago." You, useless advice, right? So, so the that's kind of the last mile for. Uh, cost optimization as well as getting this data to engineers when they're making the, the decisions uh you know in in the moment how
0: quickly do you get that data from the billing um you know maybe not just specifically with cloud zero but um do you have access to that that billing data through the through an API can you get that pretty quickly
1: um so quickly is uh, no the answer today really for just about everybody is no um because the fastest that, um, uh, let's just uh, pick on AWS here for a second, uh, is going to send that data out is maybe every 8 to 12 hours, they're going to drop a big blob of, of information into an S3 bucket, and um, and you're going to be able to, to poke around at it. Um, and then maybe they'll decide that they forgot to apply some credits. And so a day later, they'll apply those credits. And then maybe um, you know a week later, there'll be uh, some additional um, uh, uh modifications that need to be made because they uh, have a, a specialized arrangement in terms of their um, negotiated costs and things like that. And then some one-time costs will flow into there and all kinds of noise kind of mixes into the thing. And And so even if you look at it as quickly as the information is coming out, these eight to 12 hours, it doesn't necessarily tell you the complete story. And so the real, you know, magic here is, is taking that information and, um, uh, and combining it with all of the operational activity that's going on in the environment, and being able to model out and extrapolate that, and use you know, use some of these fancy uh, fancy terms like machine learning. And other <laughs> things. I don't want to be too buzzwordy. Uh, I'll fit blockchain in here at some point. Yeah, no. just
0: a, a serverless <laughs> machine <laughs> so, learning AI blockchain yeah, no, system. I mean, yeah, sure.
1: The, the 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 reality is is there's data there, and and it's um the. All the data sources that your cloud provider gives you doesn't each one individually doesn't tell you the, t- the the full story. It's when you know the answer is when you combine them all together, you get a um, a much more accurate picture of what's happening, and uh, and then you start getting in the realm of where you can um, talk about uh, cost in a in a much more relevant timeline than every eight to twelve hours.
0: Yeah. So then, if I if I was to um, have a new deployment. Uh, and maybe I introduced that bug, that hundred thousand uh, dollar bug per month, or whatever. So how quickly, how quickly would I know? How quickly could I find out about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, our objective is that you'll find out about it the uh, the moment it hits the wire, right? And uh, um, and that you'll be getting a Slack message or something saying, "Hey, um, the the change you just made is going to have s- serious ramifications." Um, the place that we want to be is just like we know we had an adverse impact on the performance of my application because we do performance testing after you make a change, you know, how much CPU, additional CPU load or, or response time or, or things like that, what are those things going to um, uh, land on? We want to also have that information about how much did the cost profile change uh, in my account. And um, it may be in tests that we only see like a couple pennies, but if we're running a production, we'll go, yeah, but that couple pennies extrapolated out, we get about you know 5 billion transactions or something like that. That's going to result in a, a 20% decrease in our margin, right? Yeah. That becomes a real logical decision. And then when the product team equipped with that information goes back to the business and says, okay, we've completed this new functionality that you asked us for, but it's going to reduce the profitability of, of the company by 20%. Should we proceed? And they might say yes. You know, they'll go. You know what? It's still good enough for us, but we're going to prioritize fixing that uh, in the next release because we we want to drive the uh, the profitability of the business up. Now they're making really educated um, decisions that are going to be very powerful uh, to building a, a you know profitable, nimble business. And uh, and they won't be uh, they won't be sitting here just kind of grasping at sort of, Why are we doing cost optimization? Because it feels good. No, because we're trying to build. A profitable, uh, profitable business.
0: So I, I, that's a really good segue, I think, into sort of the last thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, so, sort of around this idea of not just total cost of ownership, right? Because we know that, um, or we know—I should say—we know, but we we assume, right? And and, and most of the an, uh, the anecdotal data tells us that you know moving apps to serverless um, can reduce your total cost of ownership because. You're not paying for the operations people. You're not managing those servers anymore. Um, Obviously, the price goes up a little bit, you know, depending on, um, uh, you know, depending on which services you're using. But I think it's a really interesting approach to look at what the predicted costs would be and how you could actually fit those into your product roadmap, like how you would build out your product roadmap, thinking about cost as one of the factors, right? So it's no longer just, oh, we can add a new feature, because we just, you know, we already have fifty or hundred or a thousand servers running, um, and we can just stick it on those, and maybe the CPU will go up a little bit, but it won't cost us anymore. As opposed to saying, oh well, we're adding a face detection feature or a sentiment analysis feature, and all of a sudden now we're hitting up against Amazon Recognition, um, or you know, or doing sentiment analysis with with one of their uh, uh, ML AI services. Um, you know, so that that's really interesting to me. So I just, I guess maybe. How do you how do you kind of go about using these KPIs to to plan for new products?
1: Yeah, I mean, the vast majority of of things running in the cloud today are were were systems that were lifted and shifted, and, um, and you know, and they function and they may cost a little bit much. Um, Corey Quinn had a thing I, uh, about. Uh, he said uh you know legacy apps uh, is just a uh, unpopular term for applications that that currently generate profit or revenue and um and that they're everywhere um and you know if we think about the kind of serverless revolution right now almost all of the serverless activity that i that i'm seeing is in new application development although there are some notable examples um i've seen you know mainframe uh, applications being moved to serverless. I've seen um, uh, you know things that aren't necessarily totally greenfield. I mean, you've probably seen a ton of this uh, or uh, some of this as well. But sure, um, but there's still an enormous amount of kind of greenfield development in the serverless space. Um, CloudZero fortunately had the decision to make. You know, when we started building, um, are we going to do serverless or are we going to go with containers? And we um, we said, you know, what, let's go with serverless. And it was. It was a really good decision. Um, I think we might, because of our own product and the serverless ch- decisions that we made, we might be the only startup that has a cloud bill that is constantly decreasing, even as we add more customers to the platform. Because every engineering decision, we know the cost of it um, in, in, internally, and it's it's been really powerful at changing our, our culture. What we were talking about earlier, um, but you know, thinking out into the future, um, the The opportunity to um, get significant return on engineering investment in improving these legacy applications is going to come from uh, really being able to prove out the value of that re-architecture or rewrite. And today, nobody really has the tools to do it effectively. and, And so most people are just happy enough to leave well enough alone. But if you have the ability to to get in, analyze that entire operating system, everything that's going on in there, and then come back with a pretty accurate understanding of how that system's working, and, and identify the parts that could be replaced by a serverless system—not necessarily all of it, just components of it. Um, so I call this serverless right-sizing. I think that the at- activity that's been built around, you know, EC2 right-sizing is a lot of time kind of a wasted effort. But think about this notion of serverless right-sizing: take a legacy system, find the most expensive components of it, and then right-size it onto serverless with a cost justification or cost benefit analysis that is that is done for you in an automated um, in an automated way. That gives you real justification for why you do that. You might, and with serverless, we've seen it. You might see a hundred x return on that investment. The challenge is, of course, is like nobody really knows where to start, and they don't have that data in hand to justify that investment, and um, and so they they you know they they don't have the opportunity to do that. But when the when the business has that data, they can make that data driven uh, decision about um, why they might replace this component of the system. Um, that's where I think we're going to see the real serverless revolution take off. Um, because it's going to really drive uh, the, 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 you know, cost, um, you know, that, that cost benefit analysis is going to really drive the rationale behind why people are going serverless.
0: So, all right, I'm going to ask you one more question. This is for any developer who is out there listening, um, who has ever had to talk to the powers uh, that be about um, getting a budget, right? So traditional um, sort of, uh, traditional operations, I guess, would would kind of fall under the capex, where you buy a certain amount of servers, or um, you know, it, it's not really that opex thing. It's not that that idea that you're 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 being metered, right? So, have you seen have you seen this argument from hmm. um, you know purchasing departments, and and how do you how do you overcome that? How do you convince? the purchasing department that yes, this metered billing that we don't necessarily know how much it's going to cost is a better way to do it um, than for us to just have a budget that, that, that caps us at something.
1: You know, I mean, this is in a lot of ways, this is actually, um, I don't know if you knew (laughs) to tie this back or not, if I've told you this story, but um, this kind of ties back to my origin story for, for getting Veracode onto the cloud. I, I, um, we had a really interesting project for a client and um, we weren't, in AWS yet, and I, I, we wanted to build this this out in AWS because we needed the scale. We were going to need thousands of servers to do it. Um, but um, and I needed to convince the CFO that that it was a good idea. So I went to uh, our CFO. I said, "Hey, can we build this um, this project for this client? We think it's going to be really amazing." He said, "Okay." Because I needed the company credit card. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> um, so you can imagine uh, me having this conversation. He's like, all right, so I've only heard nightmare stories about this cloud thing. Here's the company credit card. Your budget is $3,000. All right. And um, uh, about a week later, $2,997. Um, we figured out how to do it. About 1,500 spot instances with like a heavily optimized kind of homegrown auto-scaling solution. And it was a wonderful challenge and um, and we had a lot of fun doing it and we built a really cost effective product and it that was that was kind of my origin story in terms of thinking about cost as part of engineering because I think constraints as engineers is a really powerful thing it helps kind of bound the problem that we're trying to solve and um and so i, I would I would suggest to any engineer or any anyone um, out there listening to this you know when they think about it is um Try to challenge yourself uh, with a budget um, and try to manage towards that budget. Um, become an educated consumer. When you go to the restaurant, I mean, we we all do this naturally. When you go to a restaurant and order things off the menu, we see price tags there. Today, when we order off the menu for <laughs> for whichever cloud provider we're using, uh, we don't actually see the price tags there. It's actually kind of... I think it's strange that when you spin up infrastructure using uh, using the console of any cloud provider, it doesn't like pop back a message that says, oh, and what you just did is going to cost, you know, X dollars an hour, right? Why is that mm-hmm. missing? Well, it's probably because it's not in their best interest, but, but you know. Maybe they don't want to, t- they don't want to tell you.
0: They don't want you to know cause, <laughs> yeah, because you're
1: going to go to the restaurant and you're going to like, oh, well, somebody else is paying the bill. I'll have the surf and turf, right? You know, the, the, the Wagyu beef. That sounds delicious. Um you know, oh, everything's been uh, prepared for me. But I, so I would, I would really strongly suggest to, to folks like try to manage themselves to a budget, even if no one else is holding a budget. Um, because even if they think no one's holding a budget, somebody somewhere is holding somebody to a budget. Um, to think about that and and actually try to be irrational, because most people would say a three thousand dollar budget building anything in, 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 in the cloud is nuts, but it can be done and, um, and you can really do some very powerful things. And what you will discover when you hold yourself to that budget is this tight relationship between a well-architected system and a cost-effective one. And it will make you a better engineer uh, through that process. Awesome. All right. Well, let's leave it there. So listen, I want to thank
0: you, Eric, for joining me um, and sharing all of your knowledge um, Where can people find out more about you and Cloud Zero?
1: So they can certainly find us on uh, cloudzero.com um, and uh, and read all about us. Uh, we've got a great blog there. I hope everybody uh, spent some time uh, providing some feedback and the usual sources on Twitter and uh, and whatnot, uh, which I'm sure you'll put links in. But uh, you know, true true story. My uh, my Twitter handle, which is impossible to say, um, was my original D anD D character from when I was in high school. So that's uh, that's the uh, the hidden fact that your listeners will uh, <laughs> that I've not shared that's with the world.
0: Silvexus. <laughs>
1: Silvexis, right? Yeah, Silvexis S I L V X. and Cloud Zero Inc uh,
0: at Cloud Zero Inc, and then also uh, people want to email you. Can they do that?
1: Yeah, you know, they can uh, they can reach out to me. Uh, it's really simple. It's E-R-I-K at uh, com.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, I will make sure we get all of that in the show notes. And uh, thanks again, Eric. Appreciate yeah. it. It's, it's wonderful. Thanks, Jeremy. Had a great time. And that's this week's Serverless Chat. I want to thank Eric Peterson for being my guest this week. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com six. For more serverless chats, be sure you subscribe to the podcast using your favorite app like iTunes and Stitcher. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you're interested in serverless and want to discover all the great new articles, use cases, and latest innovations from the serverless community, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.